Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of Monitor Keeping Podcast. How's I'm it Alan. Going, I'm, uh, this is Kai here. And uh, today we're going to get into talking about diet for our, uh, our second show, something that's immensely important to reproduction, to keeping, and um, overall health of the animals. Uh, and Kai, from what I understand just from talking to you and all the uh, phone calls, you've actually uh, kind of experimented with quite a bit of foods for your animals. Yeah. Yeah. Over, uh, over the years, um, just experimenting uh, better diets or just tried stuff that people are, you know, um, kind of just putting out there as what they do themselves and seeing if it works for my animals. Um, Some stuff does work. Some stuff I don't find to be that uh, that pleasing or appealing to when they're eating it or after they've eaten it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, but uh, for the most part, I've tried quite a few different things. Um, in, this, in this podcast, I kind of want to go over just, you know, for, for everybody, um, from the beginners that just got their savannas or just got their, their now monitors or their you know the small water monitors or anything like that and then even to the guys that are doing you know breeding or um not really getting it with eggs or maybe the eggs aren't coming out so in such great conditions or something like that um even also the bounce back on females the diet is also important um and so you know there's i would say there isn't one way to feed your monitors correctly there are quite a few ways um in ways that essentially what i mean by correctly is like what ways that are working and beneficial essentially um you know not everybody uses the same exact diet and still are achieving successes in many different rates so um you know i just want to kind of touch up on that not to be um kind of pinning one thing as the only way to feed but you know there's a wide range of what is a a a good possibility on on a proper diet um and it's a balance of a little bit of both kind of just like us we we indulge in some of the bad stuff for us too but you know there's also the the much more proper diet and something that you should kind of eat more regularly um and so these animals they really benefit from them um you know to really get to 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 start as far as um, you know, like baby animals, um, I, I really don't pound all my ba- baby animals. And what I mean by that is, uh, I don't feed them every day, and I don't stuff them to their to the brim. I kind of just feed them enough. Um, I kind of get an idea on what they eat in one meal, and um, give them just about that amount, not to the point where they're like so bloated and you know have a huge distended belly but just enough to 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 keep them maintained and everything like that um so roughly around three to four times a week i'll feed them maybe skip a day um sometimes it really just depends like if i fed really heavy one day i might skip two days or something like that um and uh the the diet for me you know some people recommend you feed like baby monitors just uh like insects or you know small little prey items I really do believe that you are underestimating what your little monitors can handle as as small ones. Um, I know the the little insects and stuff like that are good. They they are beneficial. They they give a bit of a trigger. They are good to chase. But your your little monitor, he can basically eat small vertebrates from 
from the time they're they're born. Um, Absolutely. Little, little tiny lizards, little frogs. Now, we don't really have those in abundance in the hobby, so you know you can still chop up chicks and mice and quail and use um, things like that where you're taking what you would feed an adult animal, but you're mincing it up, cutting it up into little small fragments of itself and um, essentially giving that in, in a platter to your lizard. Uh, for me, I find that they eat a little bit better and they eat a little bit more when the bite-sized pieces easily fit into their mouth instead of having like a huge hunk that they have to, you know, sit there, take the time to swallow, um, not really choke on or anything like that. It's just, it's just too big of mouthfuls. Um, and so, yeah, I really feed the little babies just stuff like that. Um, I don't really do a whole insect stage where I feed a ton of bugs for several months and then I introduce them to rodents. It's kind of insects, chopped rodents, chopped chicks, um, chopped shrimp, fish, whatever is whatever is a food item for the big animals, just minced up for the small guys. And um, now that with way, some of your, that, that sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. with that shrimp that you mentioned, uh, are you feeding with the the shells and everything attached? Yeah. Um, now the the things that I avoid when I use seafood is uh, I avoid the barbs. So mm -hmm. I'll snip off the tip barb and I snip off the 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 head barb that they have. Um, and then when I get like fish like bluegill or or anything that's got a fin, I, I snip off that barb. Um, even like if I'm feeding crappy goldfish or anything that has uh, pectoral barbs, I'll, I'll snip those off too. Um, and basically just make it so when they do eat it, there's no sharp barb poke, poking them. Um, right. And I feed just about the whole shell and, and everything like that. Uh, it comes with the head and the guts and all that. I try to use all that part, all that stuff in a meal. Um, it's If you were to remove the shell, you'd be removing the calcium. So, yeah. yeah. You don't want to. You want to stay on top of that a little bit. Um, now, um, as far as you know, using calcium for your animals too. Um, I supplement a pretty good amount. You know, um, maybe 80, 90 percent of of the meals. Uh, I would say I skip only one day out of the week or so that I don't really use a ton of calcium. Um, and then, like if I'm using pinkies and fuzzies that are really just meat, it's not a ton of calcium developed yet in the bones. I use. Um, I definitely use calcium dust on those guys as well, just to amplify the food and give it more sustenance in it for them. Now, when you're doing your supplements, are you using calcium uh, plain or calcium with D3? What do you use? Uh, I have both, and I use the D3 much more. Um, there are a couple of days where I, I have the ones without D3, and um, and it, it's it's a little balance between both. There isn't no like magic ratio or anything like that. It's just a couple of days out of the week or a few days out of the month, I'll, I'll use the just plain calcium. Um, the current product that I, I have always really used over the years, um, is, uh, the mineral product. Um, it's like a sticky tongue. It's by sticky tongue and it's called mineral or I believe it, yeah, vice versa or something like that. But it's, um, sticky tongue mineral with D3. That's the yellow container. And then I have sticky tongue mineral, Without D3, that's the red container. Um, yeah, I use, I use those quite frequently. I do have like a RepCal that I also have on the side whenever I'm out of the D3 in Mineral, but I, I don't use that one that often. Um, I, I have no idea. It's just uh, 
the way the animals take to the mineral a little bit better, um, I can kind of almost cake on or put a good amount of it on, and the animals don't mm -hmm. mind, but the, the other one, not so much. Um, it's like they don't like the taste or something like that. Um, so, yeah, those are that's what I kind of do for supplementation. Now, um, there's also parts of the diet where I use fillers, um, you know, not, not to be like cheating and everything like that or – or, or, you know, say that I don't condone, you know, kind of using some fillers, but Hey man, you're not gonna, you're not gonna always be able to afford like some crazy expensive meals for your animals all the time, or right. kind of just cut, cut some costs a little bit and still use something that is uh, beneficial. Now I don't recommend you just use like hot dogs or, or anything like that. <laughs> don't, don't use hot dog and dog food. My fillers are still on the baseline of somewhat healthy. Um, I have, um, this thing called Missouri crock diet and yeah. that broken down um, is essentially really good for our carnivorous uh, carnivorous diet. And so um, I mix that with egg. I mix that with um, ground Turkey that I use the 2% ground Turkey that I use and anything that's, that's a real filler that is essentially not a whole ton of nutrients in it. I, add nutrients back into it with by using that Missouri crock diet. Um, you know, there isn't any major ratio that I use. I just kind of get a handful in my, in my palm and of both, I kind of soak up the Missouri a little bit, let it break down. And then I mash it all together with the, the turkey balls and maybe throw in a little bit of calcium on top. And that's my, my filler diet. I, I like use it. That. Yeah, I use that maybe like twice a month though. I don't I don't use it very often. Um, the reason I don't use it very often is because it's uh it kind of leaves the poop a little runny. Um, mm -hmm. there isn't a whole lot in it as far as binding and keeping it together while it's being digested. It's it's literally just pellets that turns into powder for me, and then and then I add that to the ground turkey, which really isn't anything other than just just meat. So um you know, as far as digestion goes, there's nothing holding it together when it poops. So when the animal poops, it's really just nasty splatter. Right. And um, that's that part that I was telling you about the where I don't like it when it comes out. It's less appealing, you know. Um, yep. Yeah. So there's a reason why I don't use it that often because the next couple of days, shits are really horrible, really runny. Uh, the animal is perfectly fine. It's just that the stool is very loose. And so um, the, the fur and feather and... Um, bone and all that gut content kind of keep things together that's being digested so you know um, it's funny i've i've gotten a little creative with some of those uh like talking about fillers and yes i use fillers also um in different applications they work for me and i mean over over 2020 sometimes trying to find food uh, was pretty difficult i'm sure other people out there had the same the same issues so yeah. it was kind of you know it was surviving to a certain extent um but some of the things I've, I've done with different filler items, say chicken hearts and gizzards I've used before, um, yeah. is actually creating my own little egg dip, you could say. Yeah. And uh, then applying the, the calcium that way because there's no bone content in that. And uh, so applying the calcium and then you could even do dry mealworms stuck on the uh, like from a chick feed store, a uh, supply store. Yeah. Um, you can buy those bags full of, you know, dried mealworms and uh, roll those items around in that and 
Yeah, it gets a little gross, but uh, it definitely right, it's works. A, it's a weird <laughs> concoction of uh, stuff that we think would go well. And it's what it is is it's just thinking outside the box a little bit. It's kind of like when uh, a green tree python has – I mean the, the keeper has a hard time feeding little babies and they brain them or – or we're you know right. we're adding uh, uh, fish and frog juice to to amphibian eaters and it's just the uh, some monitors like what it is is when you hold a piece of food item up to them and they don't really get triggered by it but when it when they tongue flick it and it's like egg yolk or a bloody mess or guts and stuff it's like a trigger so um, I've had animals where I fed them a piece of item that wasn't dipped in some crazy bloody egg yolk. And they didn't really go for it. But once I got that egg yolk on their lips, they started to basically eat. Um, right. You know, some animals that are really tricky or females that they don't want to eat in front of you or I don't know. It's just an animal that's kind of being lethargic a little bit. Um, it really works out. So that trigger is kind of what we want some people to use if they're having some issues. Um, you know, it's a good thing to kind of just have in the back of your mind. Like, all right, I can... I'm having, let's say you get in an import or you get in a, an animal that is quite difficult to work with as far as getting it to eat, right? Mm -hmm. um, letting it be comfortable setting, settling in is one thing. And then offering the right foods at its comfortable time or when it's like coming out to bask and then getting ready to eat, um, those are when you want to really introduce food and some, get somewhat of a response out of your animal. I mean, sometimes they'll also be real jerks and they won't respond at all. They'll just tuck away and you kind of lose your chance, but you know, there, there are animals that, Hey, they're hungry. And, um, that's another reason why I don't feed every day is because they're not really wanting to eat that much all the time, especially little babies, you know, when you're stuffing them and stuffing them and stuffing them, there are days where they need a break. And, um, you know, that's <clears throat> a, it's a good thing to, to, to kind of keep in mind where they're just not overstuffing them. You know, I think there's also, uh, something to mention, with the babies especially, that you can actually keep them at some higher ambient temps and a higher uh, – bat. now, for the most part, I give my babies somewhere around 120 to 130 uh, as a basking spot. But you can hire uh, or raise the temps both in the basking spot and the ambient, and while they're hitting that initial uh, few phases of growth, you can, you can pound them um, full of food. But you need to you need to supply the heat so that they can use digest that heat, well. yeah, yeah, to digest. But during that time, it's something you can do. Uh, something I think that happens a lot just during the time that they're born uh, in nature and getting those, you know, that that first uh, trying to get some size on themselves, basically for survival. Um, but in captivity, you know, we can slow that down a little bit and kind of, you know. Speed Use it, it to our advantage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we can do a little bit. Yep. Um, but you said you mentioned that for the most part with babies, you pretty much simulate the same diet as the adults, right? Yeah, very much so. Just 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 cut down in the size. It's really much it. I mean, there yeah. are items that the the little guys can't eat at all, like even rat pieces cut down the size, they really can't eat, but you know, like all the mice and all the chicks I can cut down to really small mince sizes because the bone's easier to cut and there's not a lot of mass hair, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And I was that, like, what were you saying? Oh, I was going to ask, do you, do you uh, offer babies multiple food items 
uh, as they're still real young to get them eating different things? Yeah, I, I do. Um, only because that's what I do normally anyways. Um, just to kind of get them onto different things. And really so when they do go to somebody else, um, they're already kind of equipped, well-rounded, well-balanced. And the, the customer can kind of just feed whatever. Um, and right. that animal would be already hip to it and ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. I, I used to use just like chopped mice egg and some smelt fish but i've added some more stuff like ground turkey because i know people like to use that a little bit and um some i have a plate of chicken hearts that i use once in a while or but mostly man i kind of just um i'll use the midsection of a of a chick and i'll cut the legs Mm -hmm. into little pieces yeah um you know and uh really they all get they all kind of get the same thing now um so yeah, I do do a really well balanced diet for them. Then um, I, I again I do skip quite a bit. So there's some days of the week that there there's two or three days that they don't eat at all. Um, you know, even the even like the Kimberleys that I have, yeah, they are uh, they're eating. I'd say every every two days, maybe every other day if I was using bugs the day before, um, but not so much of like all right I'm gonna feed you a ton of. I'm just not just going to put a whole heaping bowl in there or, or anything like that. It's really just what I fit in like a, like a jar cap, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, I have to be honest right now. I, I, you know, I'm on vacation, so I'm, uh, I'm doing this yeah. from a hotel room, but, uh, leaving all the animals at home, you know, I'm a little apprehensive. I had to come up with some you know different ideas, uh, while leaving them for some, I just turned off the lights and that'll yeah. slow them down. Right. Uh, for some of the young ones, you know, it's, I actually it's the babies, it's the, it's the yeah. critical babies. Yeah. That's why I couldn't, I couldn't leave. I mean, even a day or so, I just, I couldn't leave. Like I can hook everything up to timers. Everything will be good. But in the back of my head, I'm just like, all right, I got these expensive ass things at home. I just don't want them to die. And you know, there's, there's things riding on them. And um, obviously, you know, there's, there's backup plans and all that stuff, but you can never always be too sure sometimes. And, um, you know, things happen. And even when you rely on some other people, uh, they're not seeing it how you are. They're just going right. by your little descriptions. Hey, do this, do that. But, you know, like what you're thinking about in the back of your head is like, man, that I don't know. That thing wasn't doing too hot last week. So I hope it, hope it does right. well this week. Right. <laughs> what I ended up doing with a lot of the young ones was I actually – uh, and I haven't done this before, but I separated them into their own containers and put them in the incubator uh, at about 86 degrees. So this is only going to be for a week. And yeah. uh, I'm hoping it works out. I think it will work out just fine um, unless they're just going to straight die from hunger. There's plenty of moisture in there. Uh, yeah. Nothing went in there in, in bad condition or dehydrated, anything like that. So uh, right. if anything, they're just going to be hungry when I get back. So um yeah, I'm a little apprehensive, but I'm not going to let it take away from enjoying the finer things in life either. But yeah. I'll let everybody know how it worked. <laughs> now, um, really like going into some more, I guess, you know, um, just schedules of feeding. Now, getting into like juveniles and and then, you know, even sub-adults, uh, I feed those guys a lot differently. You know, they're getting bigger chunks of food. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not really mincing things up anymore, and they're they're able to you know kind of pound a little bit only because uh, they've gotten some more size to them and now their guts a little bit bigger, but they still go through a, a thing where it's only being fed just enough, let you let you digest, let your 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 tummy get down um, to size back where you can see the lateral folds and stuff again. Um, and that's what I kind of look for. And then, you know, not to be manipulating them with food, but I kind of do do that where I starve them a little bit or make them get hungry again, where they're going to yeah. come to the front of the glass and the coming up to the front of the glass gives me now essentially the power over them where, um, I'm the food giver. They know that they're going to be coming to me. And what I'm doing is now using that as positive interaction and essentially getting them to trust me as the food giver for one. And from there I can use that manipulating thing and really just get them to crawl on my arm or even just take food from the tongs where all right, he's, they're going to be used to this. And so I get them used to this and, um, really now the animal is a juvenile getting to sub-adult i'm building this bond with them as they're getting more bold they've got some size onto them they're eating off the tongs a little bit more like the babies i don't force that on them um i really just let them kind of do their own thing because baby what i keep my baby monitors kimberly's and mangroves they're frantic animals um baby baby kimberly's are just spastastic where they're just going to dart from one part of the cage to the next in half a second you know um, my mangroves uh not only are they slower growers they are kept a little bit cooler um you know just that's the way they like their their temperatures and and really they they're not incredibly like oh just hounding food like what you see in a, a really heated water monitor or yeah. like a Nile monitor or a white throat or a black throat where those guys basically double in size overnight so to speak you know where they're just getting so big. These mangroves are just taking their time a little bit more, um, and so yeah, I, I really don't do a ton when they're when they're really little. Now, um, getting into that whole building trust and everything like that again with them, um, utilizing that uh, in in my convenience or for my convenience as having a a pet or even getting them to be bonded and essentially worked with. Um, imprinted essentially right and so they're now hooked to a certain sort of routine being tongue fed now um i know this you is are the a, food god yeah, in their the life <laughs> yeah so um now those are for like my juveniles i kind of just you can feed them a little bit more kind of go a little bit more heavy on them just because they're a little bit more bigger they can pound it you know um, but um once we get to like now adults and uh even males, right? We're no longer doing that pounding. So right. I'm now what it is is I have so many different – because I have a lot of lizards, right? I have very many feeding schedules going through my head. Even if I, I have a kind of set schedule where I feed a few different days, that changes when you know things are locking up or things are going through vitiligenesis or uh, females are laying. You know, It just changes, right? It changes all the time. And um, – I now am much more what you would call strict on the adult's diet. Um, the male is not going to be fed till he just wants to stop. He's actually just getting fed enough where he's lean. I need him to have sex and be healthy and 
essentially be a guy that he's 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 in he's in his prime you know i don't want him to be sluggish or anything like that and so my diet for the adults now changes again um the females i'm not just feeding anything willy-nilly i'm very very precise on what i feed them now um now I, I, again going back and trying many different diets let's just say when i started hatching out mangroves two to three years ago i was feeding mice heavy um, just mm -hmm. because that was one of the things I can get all the time. And it's something that was working for me. So I would feed my, my monitors, my females, 10, 15, 20 feedings at a time, you know, to while yeah. they're, while she's gravid at, at one time. And, um, so that you can, you can picture if that's done four or five times a week, it's a hundred fuzzies already, you know, yep. and, and that's in just in one week. And, um, I was uh, getting to a point where afterwards, even after laying, and she would just be kind of pudgy, really fat, you know. Um, I try to really f work that out. What I would do is I would slim them down, throw them in a cage, not really neglecting them, but kind of. It's You're feeding them much less. Now you're even being more strict on the diet. You know, you make them work, work a little bit more for it. Um, and this is... I've kind of had a somewhat of bad luck with having a female essentially double clutching me feeding her a ton and her not really digesting too well. Um, yeah. That probably had something to do with uh, not being hot enough or not exercising enough. Um, but that was the reason why I have had to change my diet drastically um, in a way where it benefits them a little bit more. Um, and I'm, not exactly using less, but in a way I'm using less volume, but more quality. So if you understand, um, I'm not using 10, 15 fuzzies at a time anymore. I'll use a couple mice and then I'll alternate that with crabs and shrimp and crawfish. Um, right. Those three right there are my, my key seafood items that I use as far as like heavy shelled crustaceans that have good calcium. Um, that's, that's it there. It's something that I've just picked up within the last several months. It's more so of a natural range diet too, where these guys are known to be picking off small little crabs off these, uh, you know, these beds of the marshes and stuff like that, that are in the mud. And, um, you know, seafood is quite a, quite regular diet for animals in the mangroves. That's because that's where they hang out, you know? Um, absolutely. So, uh, that's uh, something that I've had to use. Explaining my ratios between like calcium and meat, uh, I'd say it's going to be a little hard because I can't even really pinpoint it. And I use quite a few different things. But if you were to just look at it yourself, me using a bunch of fuzzies, like a handful or a fistful of fuzzies, compared to using um, crawfish and shrimp and, and crabs, the, the, the shell ratio is just much more. So that means the calcium is there. And I don't have to use as what what I would say fatty foods because that's what mice are. You know, they they they're there. They're good for running a cycle and starting it, but not as far as a whole diet. And you can essentially supplement with other things that are beneficial that still do a great job. Um, and right. that's where that's where those three key items come in for me. And what they are is they're providing great amount of food source. Um, it's able to give calciums to the eggs for the females that need it and keeps them lean. So yep. it's basically satisfying everything that I need 
and then they're not healthy afterwards. So I've actually had to, sadly, I've had to kill or I've, you know, accidentally killed um, a couple lizards along the way learning this. Um, it, it does suck, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's you got to pick yourself up, kind of dust yourself off, figure out what you did and did do wrong or see where you could nip it in the bud and try to adjust from that. Um, thinking on your toes is, is what kind of what we're trying to say here. Um, you know, so Agreed. I, I really feed them differently um, now than I did two years ago. Uh, so, you know, my, my, my diet's kind of crazy now, but it's, it, it works out really well because the animals, the eggs are much more beneficial that they, they look like it's benefiting from what I've changed, you know? Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, what about you, man? As far as like, you know, what you've come up to um, doing after, I think you've been doing it for now, what, a couple years, right? And I right. know you mostly do dwarfs and mostly Australian stuff, but, you know, I, I just don't want to like lump a, a certain diet to specific animals because Australian animals can kind of pound it. And, you know, they, oh, yeah. they, they don't really have a ton of problems, but these Indo species... It's a little bit more delicate, so um, I just kind of want to see what you do, you know. Yeah, wow. Well, I will say a little history on all that is when I began with the uh, the first group of the acanthus, um, it was mainly you know roaches, uh, dusted roaches, which they did absolutely fine on. Uh, I know there. I had a a buddy at the time who was uh, had a huge colony basically going on and um you know i had a whole operation going so i would just get my food from him for the most yeah. part i knew exactly what he was feeding them and uh you know in eight months these animals basically on that diet just mainly roaches and maybe an occasional pink every now and then um basically you had eggs in the ground within eight months of them starting their own life so uh, we've done that. We've also done a group of uh, acanthers also on primarily meal or uh, superworms um, and kind of just some experiments. And lately with another group that we're raising up, we're doing primarily egg. Um, and, you know, there's been some adjustments we've had to make as far as supplementation, calcium and, and whatnot. But it seems almost like with acanthers, anything will work. They're very uh, opportunistic feeders and you get them going. Um, so you can offer them a, a wide range of things. Now, when it comes to reproductive uh, events in the females, however, I do start when I, you kind of get a feel for when your animals uh, going through that cycle. You mentioned uh, uh, the pre-swell, basically. If I can get on that, then I know, okay, I'm really going to start offering her uh, a varied diet uh, more than I usually do just as a staple. Um, and I'll make sure she's getting not only uh, rodents, uh, bugs, eggs, I'll offer her fish. I'll offer her that nasty concoction I was talking about. Um, yeah. Just trying to get, you know, different items into her that she can use. Um, and more of, more looking at it is like, what is she eating throughout the week rather than just that day? Uh, and so if I look at it like that, then I'm trying to get those different food items. So her body can pull throughout the week from those different sources, whatever she needs to. And hopefully the, the whole idea is that I'm giving her something well-rounded that she can use. Uh, and oftentimes when she's going through that, 
I'll see her in the male lockup. They'll be down breeding for a couple of days. So they might not eat for a few days uh, yeah. when they're, when they're in that stage. And I don't bug them too much. I make food available. Uh, a lot of it does go to waste, but I want it there in case they need it. And uh, then when they separate and she starts to get that pear shape, you know, then yeah. I'll start hitting her with uh, hopper sized mice or about the biggest rodent that I think she could take comfortably without too yeah. much effort. Um, Cause I want her to get that different bone content for the most part in there. Yeah. Um, and something I learned from the, the snake guys is just dusting the, the back half of an animal. So you can mm. get that monitor to latch onto the front half. They're not going to spit it out or shy away smelling all that calcium on the, yeah. on the front. And, but once they got that animal halfway down, it's not coming back out. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll dip the back end of the animal in some extra calcium, something along those lines. Um, and then, you know, I use a wide range of food items. I do have a couple of different roach colonies going. Uh, I pretty much everybody will take the roaches, uh, except for the, some of the Timors that I have, they just don't want roaches. They would, they could care less that they're in there. Um, the Kims will sometimes, if they, if one of them pounces on the roaches, as soon as I put it in, they all will. But if that doesn't happen, sometimes they just sit from wherever they're at in the cage and just look at, you know, they do that head cock and just look at them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I've had them not touch them, you know, and then I go and throw a couple crickets in there just to see what's going on and they go wild for the crickets. So I think there is, you know, that movement that does entice them to eat. Uh, they are very curious animals. Um, the blue trees only want roaches. They don't touch anything else. Well, they did like the grasshoppers I got from you when I decided to feed them off. Um, but they'll, they'll tackle the roaches. No problem. But anything else, you know, they really haven't taken to yet. Um, I'm going to keep trying some different things, maybe some live, um, you know, what's, what's weird with me is so like my, my Kimberly's right. I wasn't mm-hmm. really supporting them that – I mean, now when I look at it, I thought I was. But I wasn't supporting them like I, I should have been where um, – I don't know. I, I was I was kind of going through you know other people's diets and kind of judging it for myself on what I should do. And you know people tell me to not feed them mice or things like that because um, you know, they're an insectivore when – I really don't believe that 100% is, is true as far as the Kimberleys go. I, f- I, I do believe they eat much more small vertebrates as well as right. as well as bugs, not just not just vertebrates, but as well as bugs. So what I what I did poorly last year was um, instead of sticking to my normal thing, feeding chopped and minced mice and egg and um, chicks and stuff like that and grasshoppers, I went with mealworms and dubias and um they would eat they would eat them but not in with vigor so they would eat some of them and i i i don't think that um they got enough nourishment from just eating those bugs yeah um, and so what's what's crazy is that i that i didn't really get good eggs from them at all really and then once this year started going off i started having some lay and I think I kind of showed you where I had a female just kind of just drop eggs all over yeah. within a couple cages. And uh, um, I tried to, you know, put her in a nesting area and and really she was having some bounce back issues just from laying those infertiles, scattering them and stuff. So um, 
I really had to get her back on her feet as soon as I can, just so that way we could keep up with the normal normal routine and we don't have to wait too long for her to recoup. And um, what I did was just put rodents back into her diet, put chicks and eggs back into her diet, and her bounce back has been a lot better. Um, you know, and, and I'm not feeding as much or I'm not trying to feed them. And I don't know, I think the roaches, they'll have a couple, but they're not going to vigorously eat the whole bowl. Right. And so, uh, I, don't get me wrong, I still do offer insects um, and I still offer like grasshoppers and such, but not as much as far as like 70 or 80% of the diet. It's more like 20 to 30% while the rest is still mice, chicks, and eggs. Yep. And that's been able to have them bounce back a lot faster and um, me saving my animals from having <clears throat> to go through so much stress afterwards. Um, yeah, I've had to learn a few of those lessons. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, you know, uh, like uh, I kind of wanted to go back a little bit and as far as, you know, when I'm getting into getting into breeding and then when I'm not. Um, mm hmm you know, my diet is also then again, different. Um, now we're talking about adults, but it's uh, two different, I guess, schedules or two different routines that I'm normally kind of implementing with, with each of the sexes. Now the male, he's, I'm still really doing light feedings and kind of just maintenance feeding on him, keeping him, you know, somewhat, uh, somewhat lean and healthy. Right. Mm -hmm. Now the female, the female is basically going to go through like I did this year from the end of December, January and February was enough time for them. And once March started cracking into gear, bam, it's just March was a slightly starting to get warmer. So I didn't change any lights. Like I told you, I wasn't really fighting my weather anymore and I was using it and really just as the days got warmer, the cages got a little warmer and right. the room gets a little warmer and it, I, it doesn't change anything for me other than actually I mean, it does change, but I'm not really changing anything at all. I'm just naturally watching it do it on its own. And so, so when March started to crack off here, the days are a little bit warmer. My animals just went from not eating to bam, just hounding food, hounding food. Now um, I wanted to wait until April, you know, but they were already having their own thing. Yeah. They're doing their own thing already. And so um, I feed my females very, very differently. It's then again, from being what I was as a juvenile and then now figuring out the sex of these animals and then feeding them that way, um, you know, getting into breeding season and getting actually viable eggs or getting a female to be pinpointed on her schedule, right? If my animals, if my female was fat, and essentially so bloated all the time uh, for one it's unhealthy but i wouldn't be able to see when she was actually going through the swell because mm -hmm. she'd be so fat regardless and um and so when they're a little bit leaner it's a lot easier to what you then would call what, what i call count the days because then i'm i can pinpoint all right this is her going through this vitiligenesis stage where they're going through the swell then basically developing the the ovum right and um and so you know you're you're really now counting the few days on when they're going to start to breed 
Um, and then you can then start to feed much more there. Your animals are going to start telling you, or they're going to start rushing the cage for more food. The female will just hit the tongs a lot more. You'll, you'll notice the vigor that she has when it's actually time. And then from the times where I was not really feeding so much, now that's been a couple months, I, I've hit that the part where they're starting the cycle and then getting into the cycles when bam, they're just eating so much and much more. So your females, you know, as far as diet goes, it's going to vary. I really, for anybody that's out there that has females that are laying on their own, um, what I kind of do is pinpoint it when they're going through their natural season to lay anyways. So if you can get an idea, like my animals lay heavily between November all the way through April almost, right? Mm-hmm. Or that's the – in a southern hemisphere, that would be the greatest time for them to lay because that's the whole breeding season. And that's why you see from end of fall, wintertime, and spring, a ton of people are having monitor lizards just lay eggs right now, whether they're a breeder or not. And so right. you, know, you want to look around everywhere on the internet or just calculate people on how many, how many have laid this time of the year. There's, there's a ton. And so well, if you're want to want to start to say that November or the end of uh, fall was your time frame to kick off, then really summer and fall is when you pre- prepare. So I'm I literally have to prepare a diet regimen or diet routine from way months way in advance just so I can get cracking on the actual season that's going to be landing, which is several months away. Um, that's how I've been able to kind of stay up with it. I was a little bit lost coming into this year and, uh, really trying something new where I wasn't fighting the weather and I wasn't feeding heavily because last year I was just feeding as much as I could and seeing if I can do anything. But this time I'm more so of pinpointing it, me being in charge, me being strict about the diet and worrying about, all right, am I going to be feeding too much right now? I got to actually bite my tongue. I have to, you know, hold off from from wanting to feed. Even if I see them out, they actually have to not eat at all for these next couple months, man. And just just hold off, you know. And so right. then once I got to feeding, bam, it just triggered many different females. They're all swelling. I've probably got about three different clutches, and we're only March, April. I mean, March, April now. So, you know, uh, I can just wait for the other females to go, and and then gonna be feeding them the same. And, uh, I think it's hard. one of the gifts in captivity we have. It's kind of to be able to steer them, so to speak, uh, towards what you want. You can, uh, to some degree, put them on your program. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I find that very – I find that very beneficial to give my animals a little break and then they're essentially not eating even though this is a, a whole thing about you know diet and stuff. It's – the right times to feed, when not to feed, because there are there are times when you're just feeding too much, you know. Yeah, I've now, had some, some fat females before that really yeah. don't help anybody um, if they are not burning off that fat. Now, there's different ways to do that, of course, or to help them do that. But um, as you've experienced, you know, uh, a fat female can cause a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's heartbreaking because you know you're. Um, it's just you're watching the animal dwindle and there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, I've had, I've had that happen a couple of times where, um, 
it's it's the animal going through its normal biology, normal normal mm. normal ways of life, essentially developing and going through a reproductive stage. If you cannot support this in in terms of support, I mean, either feeding heavily, allowing it to have a nesting area, and then dump those eggs, or actually not feeding so heavy, have her sort of reabsorb that a little bit, kind of get back to a slim. And that slim will let you know just how much you really should be feeding it to get it to trigger or not. Yep. You know, it gives you a, a basically eyeball of, all right, if I feed just this much, she's going to stay lean and not really do anything at all. Um, but if you kind of go and feed heavy all of a sudden after that, that, that lapse of not feeding, she's probably going to be triggered into a cycle just because now she has so much more abundance in food and fat and energy essentially, you know? Yeah. Um, and so those are those are some things now you know there's um as far as i'd say many different ways to get uh get your animals to you know we're getting we're reaching into the whole breeding aspect right now because this is what we do during breeding um so you know for anybody that's got beginner animals and you just you're you're just starting off yourself you know this may not apply to you a whole bunch but when your animal is two to three years old or it's now a year and a half, and bam! It all just started. All of a sudden, started laying. You would then, I would hope you kind of keep a sort of memory or log of when they went through this whole productive thing. Even if you take a picture, save it, get the details, or you know, um, have the date on there so you remember it later on. I take a ton of pictures. I don't write anything down, and I'll go back to when I took the pictures. That gives me the timestamp. And I start counting days, you know, I do the same thing. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm doing. It's um, I wish I had a little bit more organized, but that's just how I'm freely doing it right now. And um, when you get to a point of you have your, your own females or your own pairs of animals, you know, you're going to have to think about more strategically how you're going to be doing things. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully this helps you guys and you can apply it to when you guys get your own girls in the future. It happens all the time. Everybody, you know, because when you buy a baby animal, there's not really knowing what the sex is. And so you end up with a girl and you want to be able to support it well enough, you know. Right. You know, you bring up a good point, too. Uh, we mostly talk in the terms of supporting animals for reproduction. And that's because of how we're keeping our goals and what we want to do. There are the keepers out there that just have a pet animal. You know, yeah, uh, that's something totally you can just support that animal uh, to keep a healthy body weight on it. And when you only have the one animal, you can monitor that yourself, so to speak, um, and just try to keep a healthy weight on them. And males, I would say it's it's uh, a little less important than females, because even lone females uh, can go ahead and give you clutches of eggs. Yeah. Um, so so you, be supportive. Right. And. Other things you're looking for to know that you're, you're giving your animal the right kind of nutrients um, that I've seen or that I've had to experience is uh, just recently I had that, that juvenile animal. I think I sent you a picture of Kai that could kind of bend over its own spine when just going oh, around yeah. its cage. And yeah. obviously that's, that's a slap to the face and, uh, you know, I need to get that calcium up. Um, what I was right. doing was not supporting that animal. Now, Fortunately, it's and it's a fixable problem at this point. You know, right. it, it didn't get too far, but um, 
you know, I have seen animals that they did not have enough calcium. Uh, it, well, with my Kimberly Rock female, you know, she gave me that first great clutch. And uh, that was actually her fourth clutch. And yeah. so I, I, you know, I had a lot of things going on in life with my, uh, my job. I was away a lot and, um, you know, I wasn't supporting her after that. Now, I think there was also part of me that didn't expect her to go for another one. And she went right in, you know, it's like from laying to maybe a week in between to, um, go starting that cycle probably again, or at least that's what it seemed like. And I wasn't supporting her. So now she's gravid, you know, um, and she was pulling on her own resources so much. I was starting to see those. They're like seizures, basically. If you've ever seen them, yeah. or you've ever experienced them, you know what I'm talking about. Very light twitches, right? Right. And yeah. uh, a real clear sign that she is uh, deficient, you know, uh, in calcium mainly. Yeah. And well it was a it was a kind of a heartbreaking thing she also had some other things going on um something had basically eaten a hole in her and yeah. uh yeah i remember uh, you showing me that yeah so we got through that we got through any signs of infection but because of what because of my uh, uh what would i say absence. neglect yeah, yeah my absence yeah. my neglect you know she she passed a couple yeah. of eggs that were in real bad shape and ultimately ended up passing egg bound um yeah. so yeah, of course that was heartbreaking you know she was a great girl she was there ready to do her part and she doesn't have the choice to run out there and grab all the nutrients she needs out in the wild she's in my care and uh man that was a hard lesson to learn so yeah. But it's an important one, and hopefully now I can share with you guys some of these signs. Um, right, and like now, I said, um, I mean, you bring up also a good, you know, uh, a good point as far as um, like what what we're actually feeding as far as supplementation and mm -hmm. how healthy some of the animals are are being fed. Um, you know, uh, I kind of want to bring up something where. Um, We'll, we'll we'll break it down after I say it, but whole foods or whole yeah. food animals or whole prey items isn't exactly enough, okay? Because yeah. if we take the the term whole food, it just basically means the that the whole animal, whether whatever size it is, it's the brain, gut, fur, skin, all that content, you know, and you know as far as the meat and calcium goes, it's all that content, and essentially that helps the whole well-being of your animal um but pinkies and fuzzies are also whole prey items and mm -hmm. uh, day-old chicks and day-old quail are also whole prey items but they don't have enough sustenance in them to um, i would say keep your animal from or helping your animal develop good strong bones um don't get me wrong i used to use all those i still do but I make sure I dust the heck out of them just because right. um, I used to just think, all right, I'm going to use whole prey items and because it's got some bone in it and um, things like that, it should be fine. But these baby animals that you're feeding, and I'm sorry, the, the monitors you have, but the, the little tiny things that you're feeding them that are babies like baby mice and baby chicks and baby quail or whatever you're using, the bone content, it hasn't been developed yet. So 
you're not feeding a ton of calcium there. You're just feeding more of meat than anything. It's meat and fat. That's that's a good thing to have part of the diet, but you're missing that dense calcium ratio where mm-hmm. a large mouse would have heavy bones in it. A rat would have heavy bones in it. And um, I, I kind of did the same thing where I just used um, pinkies and fuzzies and chicks and stuff because, for one, they fit well for my size animals. So they would just have to eat a couple of them and I didn't have to cut anything up. Now I got to go through my way and I cut everything up from a big size. Right. So I use good bone all the time and I use big rats. Now I don't feed my, my, my three foot lizards a big jumbo rat, but I cut it up into a ton of little pieces. The bone density inside the, the big jumbo rat is just much more comparable than, um, than a mouse, you know, even an yeah. adult mouse. And so it's just much more dense. And, and then compared to chicks and, and birds, we know that chicks and quail have just essentially de- less dense bones. Birds in general, because they have to fly or they need to flutter. And so, you know, if you had heavy bones and you're trying to fly, it's just not going to work. So, um, you know, we just know naturally that bones in birds are just a little bit more, more, more lightweight, less dense. And so there's less there. Um, so anybody that's using you know, things like those, just make sure you're dusting quite regularly. Um, now, I didn't go through any type of science courses or figuring this out chemically or trying to go through any type of lab to figure out my ratios. I am only judging by my eggs that I get. Now, not not yeah. not not trying to be like like cocky and say, oh, I'm getting eggs over everybody else. What I'm saying is when I'm looking at my eggs the result is great from when I first started. When I first started, I'd have eggs that have uh, um, what they're called oocytes on them. And I'm hopefully I'm pr- pronouncing that word right, but it's spelled double O-C-Y-T-E-S. And sometimes when you get eggs, they end up with a bunch of little pores on them or a bunch mm-hmm. of little dots on them. And um, when I uh, mentioned this in Biowalk to another gentleman on why I was getting eggs this way, he told me that I should up my calcium or use a, a, a better liquid calcium than what I was currently using. And what I was doing then was the diet that I was telling you about where the animals didn't have great bone density. Right. And I was only dusting a couple of times a week. So I was doing that because people were telling me you can over calcium and you can over calcium and you can over calcium. And, and then so that would scare me and really – listening to somebody else messed up my own animals instead of me looking at it for myself when I would get the eggs. And so I started doing that. So I stopped listening to other people and started going with, all right, this is facts in front of me. I have, I have poorly looking eggs in front of me. What am I going to do to do better by these eggs and by these lizards? And so I then started adding more calcium, dusting much more, added UVB, basically supporting my females much better. And Mm -hmm. uh, the turnaround for the next clutch right after was what I wanted. Smooth, pearly white, not soft or anything like that. I got really good looking eggs, you know, Um, even the duds, even the duds that came out look good, you know? And so um, me looking at my eggs at the end of the day or at the end of every, every time I have to think on my feet and switch up, the me figuring out and realizing all right my bone density needs to be much more all that stuff really helped helped out you know 
and um, getting my clutches now, that's my only goal is to see beautiful eggs. And if I don't, I'm going to have to really go back to the drawing board a little bit and figure out, all right, this is what I'm going to do better. This is what this is. This is, I think, is the issue, you know? You know, not to get too off topic, but you're making me think that we could do a whole show just on eggs themselves and cover uh, kind of in more in depth what you're talking about now, but also, you know, the um, the semen production in males uh, with temperatures and how all those things work hand in hand. Um, but then also, you know, as you've experienced a lot, your partho eggs um, yeah. that didn't need any male to begin with. So, uh, wow. There's a lot to cover just in that. But yes, yeah. um, you know, I think diet has a lot to do with how, uh, well, of course, how the, the female can go through that entire process and make viable eggs. Um, and I think, you know, I, there's been a few times when as I was learning things, I was learning not only the females and how they cycle, uh, but I was feeling things out for myself, trying different food items at the time that, you know, I definitely noticed in direct relation to food, how much a clutch would increase mainly with my main, um, acanthus girl, you know, uh, she's, I've had her the longest, so it's easiest to tell and easiest to kind of create a, a mental chart of what she's doing. I've had clutches that I had one viable egg, uh, now up to 10 viable eggs, um, some infertile clutches, and I get to kind of backtrack on when, where, what was I doing? What was I feeding her and adjust as necessary. And, uh, that's, I think that's one of the reasons why, why they are recommended as a good beginner monitor. Um, yeah. is they're, the they're, learning curve. Yeah. Yeah, they're very forgiving too. Where you do something like that with uh, an animal like a Kim, uh, you know, it'll die. <laughs> yeah, it'll die. <laughs> it'll die bye bye. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so don't take that for granted. If, if there's listeners out there and you want to get into monitors, you know, um, of course you can start with whatever you want, um, but there's definitely lessons you can learn with a more forgiving animal, such as an Aki. Uh, that you can take into the the future of all your other uh, species that you're going to keep. Now, I will say this too: Aki's can kind of make you lazy because what works for Aki's doesn't necessarily work for everybody yeah. else. You know, right. they're so forgiving. You can be a little <laughs> sloppy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was, you know, doing with the Kimberleys is um, kind of just setting them and forgetting them, right? And um, yeah. um, I wasn't really thinking them about them as much or just thinking, all right, this is going to do for them. They're a dwarf monitor. They kind of are, are, are pigs, and they're easily to breed, right? And mm-hmm. um, now they they breed easy, but longevity is right. is the key. Um, and uh, how well they can breed. And right. sure, one clutch. Most I'll consider that myself too. Is one clutch, you're lucky. Two clutch, you get in there. You know, consistency three four five times that's that's what you want you know yeah. and then into 10 years or sure if you can really get a female to really go that long great but um most people are kind of getting one or two clutches and then diving out or they right. end up with some issue and I, i've actually been on the on the line of this where you know alan was helping me literally all last winter with my mess ups and 
you know, we we're just kind of going back and forth on what I was doing wrong. And uh, even until February, I didn't know what the heck I was doing yet. I was literally all right. I have to figure out why am I getting such poor eggs? How come this is happening? And basically switch from there. And um, I got my mega ray bulbs in, got my UV in, got my calcium up, got my everything up. And so, you know, um, yeah, man, it's uh, only because I was about nine months ahead of you killing animals and learning those lessons. <laughs> that i could even have something to share with you you know as far as adjustments that work yeah hey you're doing great now they look great you know yeah yeah i'm hoping uh, everything uh follows through with uh because i was i was i mean until you sent me your mail i was done with kimberly's i was yeah i was essentially kind of almost pulling out getting ready to sell the rest of the what i had and um you know move forward with the the mail with the messed up tail and um, man, I was just really almost out, but I realized, all right, I, I still got these animals. There's no quitting yet. There's these females that are still, you know, they're still my pets and let's see where this goes. And man, your, your male's been doing great. So oh, it's, uh, it's a pack now. You can't go anywhere. You can't give up. There's yeah, no giving yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. He's, and your male is, he's real gentle. I like him. Yeah. Man. He's not a, he's not a jerk or he's not uh like um too pestering with them eating like he'll let them eat you know yeah uh, yeah so he's actually pretty nice i would say and when I, I can go into the cage and i can literally rip him out the cage and he'll be like all right let's let's hang out man yeah and um, yeah i like him as far as the kimberly goes i've never seen one that nice so i have to say his babies are the same way they are yeah. gentle unless i'm you know going right in to grab them um but if I go into their cage and I need to move stuff around, they don't really move. They just watch me do what I need to do. And I mean, yeah. I'm right next to them. So I've lately I've been kind of, you know, brushing a hand against them and um, doing little things. I might grab a, a cricket and show it to them, let them eat it. And um, yeah, they're actually really great animals. And I, yeah. I don't know to the same degree that I can do that with any other. Uh, no, there's, a, there's a few individuals, but <laughs> All of those babies, for the most part, are just like that. And uh, it's something I, I hope continues, you know, as these – it looks like uh, – fingers crossed, it looks like I have 2.2. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we can really nail those down and, and go from there. But Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I don't know. I know you got your Kimberleys when they're a little older, right? Yeah, they were adults already. So when yeah. I got them, the female, um, she had already had three clutches uh, that, that same year that I got her. Um, and so she was, a, she was a new mom to all that. That was her first year breeding. Um, that male is a little bit older. Uh, yeah. I think he you know, made the rounds a little bit. But I, I still think he was maybe two years old. Um, so, and, you know, he's a, he's a stunner. I love that. Yeah look at that animal so i'm glad you, you know, get, i recommend so. you uh i recommend you raise your your girls a yeah. little longer a little longer than just 12 months maybe yeah. like 15 18 20 months until like they really get to you allow them to really be going through breeding i mean i i i basically waited for my girls um, even though I, I had some issues into that year, but um, I waited until they're a little bit older, um, maybe 18, 24 months until I really put a female in there. I actually had the male for a little bit, but I didn't throw him in until like 
I waited maybe closer to two years old as on on seeing if they were up to size. And one of my girls, the oldest one, stayed small. And so that's why mm-hmm. I also waited. But, um, you know, I didn't really – I do hear a lot of scary things of Kimberly's, you know, people falling in love with this animal and, and um, you know, trying to do what they think is right but really end up killing them. And uh, I don't want to do that, you know. Um, I So I really – I know monitors can go eight months, 10 months, 12 months. Some females can really get cracking at that year age. Um, And I kind of really don't recommend that when you get these new girls up and going, Um, you know, maybe wait a little bit longer just to hold off on, on, on eggs and get some size on them first, really, you know, right. That way when they do process and they do pass uh, eggs, uh, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot easier since they're a little bit older. Well, you know, with that, too, uh, the reason uh, I think this is actually really important is because that female, she basically, when she died egg bound, she was on her fifth clutch that year. And so, I mean, that's that's insane to know that she's pulling that much uh, from her body, from her resources made available to her to do five clutches in a year. So, yeah, I want I want them not fat but a little tanky you know <laughs> yeah uh big boned and and uh ready for something like that because i don't get to pick how many clutches they have you know i've i've had females even after i take the mail out that uh that trista's female i was telling you about she did that to me i thought i was going to yeah. cut her short by taking the mail out and she just kept going <laughs> so uh, they were infertile but um you know it, taught me okay well that's not going to work either i just i need to be on it i need to be supporting them not only as we're going into that but the time in between when they when they are done laying you know i still like to offer that hopper sized mouse uh to the females and um right after uh right after laying you know if not their first meal the second meal they're they're pretty ravenous so they're ready to work it down and, and get it down and then yeah, luckily, keep, luckily most of mine are ready to go at like right right after they lay right get a little bit of drink of water and damn food yeah 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 for the most part uh i had a little scare with that that sand monitor over <laughs> over christmas you know i was i was gone for a little bit doing holiday things but she came back around uh she looked horrible though Oof, that scared me yeah. um but yeah, a little bit of water, very important. Also, we're talking about food and diet, but um, having water, you know, your monitors might not use water all the time, but especially right. females going through that reproduction. Drinking is um, great. Drinking yeah. is good. Yeah. So um, I, I, I guess the kind of, I don't, I don't know if we're closing this off yet, but water, um, I have that, you know, that bin for mm-hmm. them to kind of communally use and they jump in and out of there. All my monitors kind of have a slightly bigger bowl just for them to jump in and get cool or whatever, right? Take a crap in. But um, <laughs> yeah, really, uh, I keep little bowls everywhere. So those I have maybe in every cage a couple extra little tiny bowls that they can't get into. Um, it's elevated, so they can't kick dirt into it really. So it stays cleaner. I'll even have it hung up in the corner of a cage. Um, and I'll fill that up periodically where that's their their drinking ability and they have mm-hmm. good, good, clean drinking water. You know, I think a, a lot of us, all of us, because monitors are so dirty with that water aspect, um, you put in a new bin in there and later 10 minutes, it's it's full of mud and dirt and right. whatever they trekked in it or they just went, they took a crap. So 
realistically drinking clean water in some of our cages is isn't available until you actually change the water again so <clears throat> having those little cups of water you know because you're not always going to be having to spray or you're not even sorry you're not going to always be able to spray them because you're not always going to be available so right. that whole pendulous water even though they do drink from that when you spray them um, you want to make sure that they still got some standing water sitting around that's clean and uh, good for just drinking yeah um, so yeah, you know what i've done as a as a oh sorry go ahead i'm no, no, good no you're good i, I, I finished. finished um what i've done is you know those those little deli cups you get like ranch dressing in i'll go pick up a few hundred of those and i found at the uh the local pet store the little animal bowls basically the right size for those those little cups to fit in so that way i'm not worried about you know cleaning dishes or bacteria growing in there i can just rip that cup out put another one in with water i know a lot yeah. of the snake guys do that and yeah, a lot I, of the keepers do that so right uh that's that's what i do it's it's one cup hung in the corner mm -hmm. and that's a tall cup right and then yeah. I just uh, empty out. I pull out a little cup, and I toss that whenever I need to. And then I'll refill it. Or, yeah, it's I have a couple of those sitting in my thing. So yeah, man. Um, um, do, is there by chance? Is there anything else you wanted to cover? I kind of went over that list that we had, and I believe yeah. Uh, well, I don't know what. I guess we could talk about just some. You know, when we were talking about doing this show, it really made me think. A lot of the stuff I was doing but I never really thought it out or why I was doing it. It's just some of the things I've developed after, you know, a couple of years of keeping these animals and going through the yeah. cycles with them. Um, yeah. But I guess, you know, you might have a male, if you, if you keep in your animals in a group uh, pair or more, you might have a male that's really dominant when it comes to food. Um, I, I have a few of those and some of the tricks that, you know, I've been able to use is lately just figuring this out, actually, is uh, instead of feeding them, let's say the, the sand monitors, you know, instead of thawing out a bunch of mice for all of them. Well, the, that male, he's bigger than the female. He's going to rip those mice down without a second thought where yeah. she might have to do just a little few more seconds of work. But I mean, if you you thaw out 15 mice for these animals well maybe not that many but uh let's say 10 mice he might get seven of them before she's on her third and she's the one yeah. i'm worried about you know yeah so what i've done recently is i'll take a rat <laughs> yeah. and i'll thaw out a rat and i'll throw that to him first and it's gonna take him a while but he's so food dominant he doesn't want her to have that rat so he runs off with it you know and he's in yeah. the corner pushing it against the wall trying to work it down his throat and yeah. then I can feed her a smaller um, whole food item, you know, and I know that she's getting um, five or six mice, especially in that time when I, I know she's going to start that cycle. Um, you know, honestly, she's probably already started the cycle. I'm just seeing what I can actually see uh, yeah. looking at her. And so those little tricks I've learned uh, a lot of times when I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but after I have a, a female lay or during that whole process, I'll actually have the males go down for a while. They stay hidden, let her do her thing and actually will stay out of the way for the first couple days uh, as she gets that food uh, or as she gets that weight back on her from the food. Yeah. Um, for, for me. Uh, so, since I have 
pretty uh food aggressive males as well. Um, I take out the male, and um, he sits in a bin while she gets to eat really well. Um, mm-hmm. I occasionally do a slightly larger item, but the biggest stuff I really got in my freezer are chicks. So it's only going to keep them busy for so long. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's uh, he's so motivated on the tongs. I can give him a whole plate of food, but he's going to go where the action is because he's yeah. so used to the, the tongs. And so I, I just take him out now and I shove him in a bin and he's going to stay in the bin for a couple hours because um, – I just don't want him to rush in and out or, or have to, I don't know, just, he's just going to be in that bin, just eating and kind of mellowing out while that female has opportunity to eat in peace. Um, I've, it's just so much headache back and forth where I'll have to watch the male. He's going to be done with his food. He's going to go over to the female. She really needs this. So if she misses even one or two of these, uh, this irregular uh, irregularity in, mm-hmm. in her normal intake, then there's there can be a mishap with the eggs or something like that, or um, in her bounce back right right now, right? So um, uh, I would like her to basically get every meal that I offer her. And so the males come out, they sit on the floor for a couple hours in a bin, eating their own thing, and then whenever I feel she's done and she's had her drink, I, I'll shove him back in. Um, that way, you know, there's less conflict, but yeah, man, I got the, the males are a headache, especially when it comes to really feeding for the female, you know, when yeah. it's, when it's time and I only have to feed her a little bit, or let's say she's positioned really well in a cord tube and, and like he's hiding, then I'll kind of try to sneak in some food for her. But even then that's annoying. Cause I have to hide from him, you know, like, oh damn, like this male, he's so like my, my, my male Jody, man, he's, he's actually gotten on my nerves a few times where. <laughs> it's like I'm uh, I'm trying to feed her and you know I've I've already defrosted this. I'm not going to defrost anything else right now cuz that's just going to add another 15 20 minutes or or even longer, you know, however long it takes yeah. to defrost. And so yeah, man, um I just uh <clears throat> I just pull them out now. So sometimes I throw them I sometimes I have an extra cage for them, but really I just now cuz there isn't any extra space too much. He's in a he's in a bin when she has her downtime. And uh, that recoup time too, no one goes back in probably for weeks. So she's kind of – she's got her own okay recoup system, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, that So that clutch that I just dug out, right, it's from the same female <clears throat> that laid a month ago. So Yeah. Yeah, so this is a back-to-back clutch again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm really trying to figure out just how to go. So if I guess you want to consider all the stuff from last year, it was like summer skipping because there was just so hot, but then I cooled them down, you know, the whole fall and winter kind of chilled on its own. And then I gave them an actual cool down when it really started to get cold in California. You know, we got, we had a late winter, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty late winter, little rain, very little rain here. Um, and so, yeah, man, I, I, I think, I don't know what it is. It's the weather, the rain, the, the pressure, but it always coincides with that, you know? Yeah. It's um, time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's time. And so, uh, now, do you, on that real quick, just, do you notice that 
if you have the same female, let's say she gives you three or four clutches, do you notice a difference between the clutches from the first one throughout, you know, the three or four clutches? Do you notice they improve or are the first couple clutches yeah. better? Do they? Yeah, John was mentioning to John was mentioning to me. He was like, "Yo, if you can, um, you know, the first one might not not always be a bunch of great eggs, right? And they, they got that out of their system, and the second one should be great, right? Um, That's what I've been seeing a lot. So, um. Uh, I've had that happen on a couple ca- occasions with different monitors and different species even where, all right, like like the like one I was telling you about where the Kimberly laid, I think I was messaging you in, in January and February, right? Mm-hmm. And then she went ahead and laid a really great clutch of six. So, yeah. like, damn, like, you just gave me all that headache and I really <laughs> didn't think I was going anywhere. You know, for a while, dude, I was thinking I wasn't going anywhere with these Kimberly's like – yeah, I just went two steps back and I thought I was getting eggs and now I'm just getting shit. So, all right, yeah. I got to figure this out. And, um, and man, it's, uh, it's, it's almost night and day with how, how, how the eggs are turning out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I'm hoping, it, you know, um, I, I have a couple cages that I just need to button up. But I, I believe after I saw them locking up again just a couple of days ago. So I revamped the soil because she can go within 15 days, um, you know, 20 days of after breeding. It's, it's pretty fast for dwarf monitors sometimes, you know, and um, mm-hmm. um, I just want to have that nesting area ready. So I revamped it, added a little bit of water to it, turned it, made sure that everything was okay. And um, yeah, man, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to pull her out after um, I just leave her on her own, maybe for the summertime and then put her back in. I, I, you know, as much as I do want to breed them, I don't want to see what goes on. Um, I think what I'm getting is enough. I'm not going to be too greedy and mm-hmm. you know, try to want more out of her when I can let her chill and then get some more later on. I just don't want to do what we talked about earlier where, you know, they go through five, six clutches or whatever and pump as, as much as they can within that time frame. you know, um, uh, Philip yeah. Guy in the UK, or I believe that's where he's from, but um, um, he was telling me that uh, his girls easily go through um, a double clutch period within 45, 60 days. Right. Um, and so I'm like, damn, that's so fast. And oh, man. His looks so great. So, um, right. you know, I just – I mean, obviously, he's got more than one female, or many of you guys have more than one girl. I only really got one girl working with me, so um, I'm really trying to not kill her, you know. Um, and so, probably if they if she does lay again and she's not cycling herself and taking her own breaks, then I'm going to have to take a break for her and uh, yeah, pull her out. You know, that's where I was saying I I did try that with the Tristus. Um, she went anyway, so. Yeah, it's making me that's think about things. Scared. Yeah, that's it's a little. <laughs> Alex told me to just keep them together, because yeah. if if I I mean, because she can basically lay a, a a bunch of infertiles and then go through the same thing where, right. Yeah, so um, I'd rather her lay fertile eggs and yeah, not not have to go through the mess. <clears throat> you know, so, on that same topic, I I just uh, I I posted on it on my. Um, 
my Facebook page and for the Origins Reptile, and then yeah. also on um, uh, my Instagram. But yeah, this my main uh, Aki girl talking about how this happened. Her and the Tristis, both um, my main Tristis girl, uh, both bred in January, you know, towards yeah. the end of January, the, about the 29th and 30th. And then yeah. they gave me uh, both infertile clutches around yeah. the, I'd say, 19th, 20th of, uh, of February. Now, as you know, I had some stuff going on where I keep them, where I had to uh, I had to move a bunch of things around into another space. And yeah, it, the ambience dropped about 15 degrees. So that I definitely think played into a lot of this. But, um, you know, it was then March 13th um, was the final day. There was three days of breeding um, that I saw in the Ackies. And so we're talking she laid on February 19th. And then on March 13th, she's breeding again and then laid for me uh, on. Let's see, March 29th. So there's only a, a little bit of time in between those clutches, you know. Couple she weeks. looks great. Yeah, she looks great, fortunately. And the truth is, uh, as soon as I get back, I got to really start feeding her a lot of the stuff we've been talking about today because it's very possible she's going to be going again. And uh, I don't know if there's going to be a fourth after that. Sometimes that's happened, too. And I just got to keep at it and let until she takes the break, uh, yeah. I, you know. So all, all I can do is sit there and support her and give her these good meals. Um, it, it's a it's a learning curve. <laughs> you learn real quick. Yeah, uh, it's uh, you got to be there. There, I mean, you got to be there or have food or, you know, take that time when, you know, they've just finished basking and, you know, it's that morning period where they're they're hungry, you know, um, get in, get in some food for her, let her get some some nutrients in and. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's the best thing to do because the consistency while you're trying to breed is the main is the high thing. Like you know, you can kind of leave lone animals sitting for a few days without eating, but when it comes to the actual being together and breeding, it's just so much more energy. Yeah, that they need yeah. And you touched on this a little bit, but um, you know, I also I do a lot more maintenance feeding with my males. They don't get it as good as the females. That's the honest truth. Yeah, and, they do. Uh, I keep them on the thin side. I try to keep them on the thin side um, through different tactics. And, right. you know, if, if I have to take them out or just make sure that the use some kind of visual uh, physical barrier in the cage to make sure the female gets the appropriate food, you know, I just, I just need them to perform their task. And yeah. you've seen those big fat males that, you know, they don't do anything. Right. Um, just right. So I, I do keep them on a tighter uh, food schedule in the female they the females have a lot more opportunity <laughs> to eat different things than my males do sorry yeah. guys that's just how it is <laughs> yeah yeah but um yeah i think man is there anything else you want to touch on as far as I, and believe me i'm sure we'll talk about this in other topics and we'll hit on this again as we experiment with different things so yeah i think uh, uh, i think we covered a pretty good amount on you know i think yeah. From babies to breeding and females and, you know, males and when part of the year and um, the fasting part. I mean, I think we kind of also covered the uh, – I mean, I, I, we should probably be more definitive on our 
um, maintenance fees. So um, we we joke around and calling in neglect, and we, we joke around and call it kind of like, you know, we're, we're, we're really just it, – it is kind of that. You're not – you're essentially not feeding, but really it's not neglect at all. You're being even more strict and going through periods where you're not feeding very much at all. Um, mm-hmm. and really, this is just uh, people want to, I mean, in the back of our heads, you know, you would normally be feeding them much more and right. you would normally be feeding them uh, often and a ton of food even or just quite regularly. But you're really now going to pick a date and you're going to then go this long of a period, whether it's a few weeks or a month and a half or you're two weeks out of one month in a whole month in another month. And then two weeks, part of another month, going back up in weather, um, and so you know that's your, you're you're down, and you're kind of staying leveled at at this uh, at this amount of food or even no food for a month period, and then going up a couple weeks, where you're slowly slowly starting to feed more, and um, mm-hmm. and those times where your maintenance feeding is really key. Um, it's just feeding enough where. You know, you're obviously seeing the animal still got good muscle tone. It still has um, good strength in it. It's not like lethargic or limp when you pick it up. It it's vibrant. It's still fine. It just looks like the wild monitors where man, they look like they haven't been eating, but their tail base is so thick because they're yeah. still hydrated, still healthy. Um, you know, the legs and the arms are keeping weight and keeping. Um, I guess they're just being sustained as far as muscle tone and everything like that. You know, if you notice your animals start to start to dwindle and it's not eating um, and you're not feeding it a lot and you're basically seeing the tail compress and stuff like that, you're going to need to do a little bit more on the maintenance. So you'll find the balance on just how much to feed. But really, the animal is very hungry and it, it wants to eat a ton, but you really shouldn't be feeding it during this time. Um, so, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what our in quotation mark neglect or maintenance period is oh man yeah you know now that i think about it, there's so much we'll probably end here in a little bit but and when it comes to the timors and peacock monitors and i just put a bowl of food in there and or some food in there and just hope something disappears <laughs> yeah. they're a whole nother another thing for me i just you know i can't ever tong feed them they don't ever want to play um yeah i just I let them eat on their own schedule and just try to offer them various things and uh, whatever they want to go for is what they go for. They're all growing fine. They're all doing fine, but I have no idea if the males eat more or the females are getting enough. They just, they're hiding away and uh, I'm just going to have to hope for the best. So. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. So. And uh, yeah, sometimes I guess with, you know, people that have shy animals, right. Mm-hmm. Um, the tongue feeding and stuff like that, it won't even apply to you. You're right. really going to just, leave uh, as much food as you can in a bowl or I'll leave some in a bowl for the male and the female will be in a court tube. I'll shove a bunch of chopped stuff in the front of that entrance court tube and hopefully she eats her stuff. And, you know, really sometimes I'm not doing any of this strict stuff at all. And I just shove a bunch of food in there and hopefully they eat. Not all my, all my animals are like that, but there are a couple that really won't touch food if I'm around. So I really got to leave it in there. And uh, I have a female that would prefer to just eat on her own. She eats slower and she eats more when, when I allow her to eat slower. So, you know, it's not like me coming at her with the tongs every single time she takes a bite. I, I have another piece ready. 
she takes her yeah. leisure time and when it's that time i pull that mail out so she can literally have her her 30 minutes or 20 minutes or just slow eating chilling you know and um, you probably have animals that just naturally they might both be female but eat slower uh, yeah. or faster than the other one you you got your own individual personalities that work there too yeah. all right man well, well what do we uh do we even want to talk about it while we're recording you know what we uh what we want to talk about next week or for the next show what do you what do you got rolling around in your head um man i was thinking about really getting into the juice already with uh inviting inviting either our first guest or working towards it but really getting that either questionnaire out or inviting just another another keeper on um i wanted to you know um the amount of the amount of keepers that want to come on, I, I don't think we'll, we're 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 at a short supply at all. So, right. what we have to do is just really ask some people. But um, what I wanted to put a, I guess, a wanted list out there for is um, people that are brave enough to come into the hot seat a little bit. You know, ask us a bunch of questions. It's not like a a, a grilling session or anything like that. But it's just um, you'd be able to put yourself on. on um, on the mic a little bit, get a get a little bit comfortable with with asking us questions, and we ask you questions, and we kind of just really uh, uh, formulate this for people listening and get a, an idea on what it's like for both sides, and we want to really um, have more people understand just uh, just some of the new new beginning aspects of what you guys think, how how you guys may want to apply some other methods to your current thinking and, and um, what we can do to essentially help you guys, um, you know, and also you guys are helping us because there's uh there's many nuances and aspects that, you know, not everybody goes through and um, something that we're learning from you, we might be able to apply to something else or apply to our own stuff or, you know, it's just, just things like that. Um, so it'd be a learning experience for, for both ends, I think. Yeah. And uh, just, so remember, I did ask uh, Eric about it, and we can have two other people on uh, with us, so we're limited in that. Um, That's but we can okay. also, yeah, and we can we can go ahead and collect questions. So if uh, anybody out there has some questions, you can send those to either Kai or myself, and we can kind of keep a list. We'll probably get some doubles of the same questions. And uh, you know, some of the more experienced keepers, you might not have this issue, no problem. But um, reaching out to those beginners, maybe people thinking about monitors and whatnot. I know over the last, uh, I think week or so, I've gotten a lot of, we were joking what a couple weeks ago, uh, about the people hitting me up and I was like, Oh no, it's, you know, not been that much of a problem this last week. I've had a lot of people hit me up with different questions. I'm more than happy to help too. So, um, Yeah. I think that'd be a good idea. Let's see if we can get it going. Uh, let's see if we can get some people nailed down. If not, I mean, me and you can just sit here and listen to ourselves talk again. <laughs> There's so much to, to cover with monitors um, that we could tap into easily, but it would be nice to, I think, go that direction. And uh, oh, man. It's probably going to put a, put a hit out for uh, some people that may want to um, just people that are, messaging me kind of already to begin with um you know obviously i'm not able to answer all their questions um maybe i might be able to in the podcast because we'll be able to take some time um yeah. i do apologize to to some people um there is only little one me you know it's just little old me man <laughs> i want to be able to um 
to help everybody. Don't get me wrong. I've been trying to do every little aspect as far as being available to you, whether it's on Facebook, on my Instagram, even on TikTok or on my YouTube. Um, you know, I resurrected an old YouTube page just so the YouTube people can, you know, the people that learn from YouTube, and I'm one of those too, where it's like, hey, I just got something new or I, I need to figure out how to do this electronically and I'll go on YouTube. And so there's a big, uh, uh, I guess, uh, a large amount of people that are on there just really trying to reach out to people. And so um, get other, get information and get help. And um, I've had a couple people message me already just on, on, on some of the videos that I posted. So, you know, only so many people go on, on all these different platforms. And I want to make this podcast just because it's, um, you know, definitely a thing where uh, more and more people are getting into podcast listening. It's uh, it's something that they can drive to or they drive to work to or on their free time. And they're just trying to get distracted from what they're doing. And so, you know, this this might be a good time for you to just pick up something like this to listen to. Um, and so reaching out to you guys, um, I think Alan and I will do our best to help you guys as best as we could. Um, we're, we're typically really available to you guys all the time other than when we're really busy at work or might be at the crack of dawn. And, and even then I'm typically available at the crack of dawn, you know, Kai, you're up at all time. I, I yeah. go on the messenger and see that little green bubble on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm up at all hours just because, um, I got a lot going on too. And, um, I'm typically right at my phone's reach. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to see your message or something like that. And I try to help you. Um, some things are a little bit more, they take, I got to sit down and we actually got to go through some stuff, you know, but, um, like there was a gentleman that hit me up about, um, making nesting stuff for him. And, uh, I can kind of just, you know, I, I don't want to just sell you or tell you anything. I want to walk you through it and make you, right. make it work for you. Um, you know, I can just say, Oh, use a nest bin and sand and soil, but you know, that still is incomplete. I, I have to explain temperatures and soil structure, soil density, water dense, all that, like everything is, is applied. And so, um, it, it does take a little bit more of science and critiquing and breaking down, but, um, you know, message us and we'd be able to take the time with you and work with you. And hopefully this podcast, we can reach even more, right. more people at once, you know? Yeah. We um, might answer your question. If, if we don't respond, we might answer it in the podcast just because there's other people out yeah. there. And we'll that way we can hit a lot of people at once too. We'll, we'll have one of those where we're we're gonna take some of your guys's questions, and it may be a thing where we get a few of these same questions, and um, we'll we'll basically make a podcast for you guys and go yeah. from there. Um, you know, we're gonna get to that point too, where we'll have a just a a Q and A session, and we're just answering your guys's questions that you guys shoot in. All right. On that note, Kai, about them questions, where can they find you? Um, they can find me just on Facebook or Instagram. But again, like I'm also on, on YouTube and other stuff. Now, my my typical handle for Instagram is uh, big underscore lizard 103 at yahoo.com. It's B-I-G underscore lizard one, the letter O, the number three at yahoo.com. And um, my YouTube is Mangrove Mecca. Um, two different words. Mecca is spelled M-E-C-C-A. And um, yeah, on Facebook, I'm just Kai Fan. 
uh, just I, I would prefer you just refer to me as Kai Van as well, <laughs> <laughs> not anything else that anybody else calls me, and just just the guy with the. Um, and yeah, it's K H A I, P H A N, as in Nancy. All right, you guys can find me at Origins underscore Reptile on Instagram and Origins Reptile on Facebook. Um, and I think all my infos there, you can message me on either platform. Um, and then again, we just want to say thank you to the Morelia Python network, uh, for supporting us in this. Uh, that is who is bringing the monitor keeping podcast to you guys out there. So go ahead and check them out. Uh, you can see them at Morelia Python radio network.net. Uh, if you scroll down, there's a whole list of podcasts that they're doing. A lot of you might be familiar just with NPR in general, uh, but there's, I think, almost 10 different podcasts in different uh, directions. So they're covering a wide range of reptiles. If you have any other interests, go ahead and check them out. There's a lot of great guys that are doing a lot of good stuff. Um, also on their website, you can look around. There's a store. Uh, there's a newsletter to sign up to. Uh, if you like this content and you want to support them, there's also a Patreon that uh, you can find there as well. So, yeah, personally, we'd like to thank uh, Eric Burke for all his support and getting this going. I am uh, very much technologically illiterate, so he's been kind of walking you. me through some things. So, thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Till next time. Till next time. Uh, we appreciate you guys for listening and everything. And uh, I'll see you later, man. Thank you very much. Talk to you later.